hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Hello everyone and welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Today we're back for the second episode of the last story of series 12, The Timeless Children. And this is a very controversial story, isn't it? This is a very controversial episode um, and does lots of things that have really got people's backs up. So I'm sure we're going to have a whole lot to say about this. Um, but I'm back today with um, the extraordinary Joe Ford. Jeez. <laughs> and I love controversy. So I'm all over this shit, I'm telling you. And, of course, with the fabulous Fraser Gregory too. Also known as Champion of the Damned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And some people would definitely consider this the damned, so... <laughs> Absolutely. And you know me, I'm, I'm very positive about Doctor Who, so I think we will give this a decent treatment. But I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot we need to discuss. Well, there is. There is. can I say something before we go in? Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, okay. I think this is an extraordinarily bad episode of television. But <laughs> I think this is an extraordinarily good episode of Doctor Who. And I'm going to try and explain that statement. Okay. Okay. As an episode of television, it commits pretty much every cardinal sin that I hate. It's full and it is chock full of expertise. It's basically the Doctor tied up, impotent, and having something explained to her for, for half an hour. It's, yeah, it's tell, not show, isn't it? it yeah. Um, it then rouses for like a, a, a kind of an action climax at the end with the cyberlords coming along. And none of that is really given any content until the middle of the story kind of comes out of nowhere. It ends on one of my least favorite things ever, which is a rando character self-sacrificing themselves like for me it pretty much commits every rule that i hate conversely it has three of the best doctor master scenes that i can think of in the entire run of the story i think the production value is incredible um i think there are great character moments there's some really good action in there so i'm kind of on the fence uh, um I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. So I'm perfectly willing to be convinced that this is truly incredible. What I think it is, I think it's very good with a lot of problems. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there before we start. <laughs> Do you agree with that, Fraser? Um, to a certain extent, I think it's it's challenging as a Doctor Who fan, um, especially one who has grown up with the classic series, you know, to have the established continuity shook to quite a uh, um, serious degree as happens in this episode is is jarring it's disconcerting um it can be you know difficult to accept um as you know an episode of television i think it stands perfectly well alongside anything else um you know we'll go through it we'll discuss all the good points i'm sure you will point this out all 
the points that he's wrong about. Um, <laughs> do what you do best. I think that the central concept of of the timeless child, um, which we'll come to, yeah, it can be difficult to to swallow. But I think the thing, you know, that's the the feeling I had when I first watched it. I think, you know, coming back and watching it again, um, you know, you have different views, you have different um, perspectives on things. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about when we get there. Um, or we'll talk about now if you want, but, you know, happy to talk about when we get there. What about you, Si? Well, <laughs> oh. it's, um, it's interesting because this is, um, I had similar feelings about this to how I felt in the McCoy years where you were getting these hints that the doctor wasn't someone who just left Gallifrey because he was bored. You were getting the hints that he left because there was ultimately a master plan that he was following and it had just taken him seven different bodies to get to that, to doing that. And suddenly it was like having the rug pulled from underneath you where everything that you thought suddenly it wasn't quite how it was and the doctor and again i think it's very much like cartmel's doctor who in putting the mystery back into the doctor by talking about his origins or her origins as it is now and their origins that's the best way to put it um it's it's very interesting i think to see some parallels between what the two of them were doing and Moffat and Andrew Cartmel um, coming in and wanting to make the Doctor mysterious, but he does that by making him a god amongst his people and being there right possibly at the start of Time Lord history. And this is exactly the same. The Doctor now is the start of Time Lord history. So is it sort of picking up that? Were there hints that the McCoy Doctor was remembering um, the division and all of those things and and all of that. And I'd be interested to see if it goes there. This is just all stuff that is coming randomly into my head all the time. But does does the revelation spoil things for you or does it intrigue you? A bit of both. It's it's always difficult to know how much do you actually need to know about the doctor. I agree. Yeah. And this is something that Stephen Moffat was just constantly obsessed with. Do you need to see the Doctor leaving Gallifrey and knowing why? Or is it more exciting just to know that they left Gallifrey in the first place and that was it? And they went out into the universe because they wanted to explore. And that's basically all you need to know. And I think at the end of... Um, revolution of the Daleks, the Doctor's got that wanderlust back and she's back yeah. to being that despite all of the revelations about her her past, she's right back to just being the Doctor. Do you, so, do you know what I think the best scene in this is? And obviously we'll get to it, we'll get to it, but um, it's when she basically turns around and he's like, oh, I've broken you, haven't I, with all this news. And she just goes, oh, fuck you. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I know who I am now. Who cares who I was then? Like that was my past. I'm just going to head off and and have some fun, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. But then I, I've heard the criticism. Then that well, if that's going to be her reaction, then what's the point of telling us in the first place? 
Well, exactly. And that's the thing. Do we actually need to know any of this? Should Doctor Who be a series of adventures about someone called the Doctor, or should it be about Doctor Who? Yes. It- yes Brenta is absolutely right because we want both because (laughs) we love the adventure and we love the TARDIS appearing somewhere new and going off and exploring that but But we also like to we like the we 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 do but the introspection can go too far and I'm sorry I'm going to bring his name up again bloody Moffat Doctor Who Doctor Who like fuck off who cares? Like, and when you had what, um, what it was two episodes back to back, wasn't it? Reading of River Song, where Dorian Maldivar's going, Doctor Who, Doctor, and then you've got Asylum and the Daleks, where the Daleks are all going, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, and it's like, we just don't care, just tell a fucking story. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. At the same time, you've then got Russell T. Davies, who literally makes the Doctor Jesus. Yes, and I've always had problems with that. Yeah, He's like too. jam and jelly and ice cream and fire and ice and suns and stars, and he walks through it. Oh, no. no but not. also, just, also the, bit, it comes Jesus. the bit where he comes flying down and laughs. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> or, even worse, the bit in Boy to the Damned where the angels send him up to heaven. <laughs> it's so oh, ridiculous. Jesus. Yeah, but I but suppose it, and this is... Started. I'm going to say all this started with McCoy. Up till then, the Doctor had just been a traveller. And then he was, he became more than just a Time Lord, more than that. And he, and then the new adventures elevated him to, to like a god. Can I do it just once? Can I? Do what? The beginnings, two forces, only good and evil. That's basically what he's talking about, though, isn't it? Yeah. I think the difference for me, though, is that by the time we reach um, the McCoy era, by the time Cottonell does that, it feels a natural progression of the character. Because, yes, we have had... We've went from um, the first Doctor, you know, who basically just, you know, was forced into this life of adventuring by um, Ian and Barbara storming into the TARDIS and making him a better person... We'll then progress through, you know, the exile with the third Doctor, the fourth Doctor being used as an instrument by the Guardians to get the key to time. So by the time you meet McCoy, you actually think this is more, this is person is more than just a Time Lord. This is not just someone who randomly decided to walk out, you know, pack his bags and walk off the planet. This is someone that has got a little bit more about them, you know, yet destiny or whatever, but they have got more skills, more nous, more ingenuity, more heart, more drive, more um, willingness to do anything. So there is more about the Doctor by this point. You know what's interesting is uh, throughout the 80s or the mid-80s, you've got the show leaning into its uh, established past. So it's, it's a lot of like callbacks to old monsters and old stories and things like that, you know. Whereas when Cartmel came along, it lent back into a non-established path. So it goes, it kind of leaps over all that, doesn't it, into stuff that we don't know. And weirdly enough, Moffat lent very heavily into established continuity, the Doctor left Gallifrey and all of this. And now Chibnall's come along and he's 
taken a leap back like Cartmel to way before all of that to to give it. I think may, maybe they'll just make it up and they're building a very big picture and half of it is contradictory and doesn't make any sense when you put it all together. But in the moment, it's exciting and it feels fresh and it feels like um, new things are being revealed. And you know what? The new showrunner will probably come along and all this will be scrubbed out again. You know, like... That's the You can destroy Gallifrey. You can repopulate it. You can destroy it again. I don't want it back. We do not need Ark of Infinity, the sequel. But it's true. Uh, What will happen is that fans will spend years and years and years reconciling it all. And then a new fact will come along that will smash that theory and... I feel, we go again. Are you the sort of person that needs... Sorry, we will go into this episode in a minute. But are you the sort of person that needs canon to reconcile? Because I feel quite lucky in my head. I don't care that it's all contradictory. I think it's um, Robert Holmes and Terence Dix that did it for me. Robert Holmes, because he just contradicts continuity as and when to tell a good story. And I think that's a good idea. And Terence Dix, because he says continuity is what the hell I can remember. So if like, if it's wrong, I'll just make it up, you know. <laughs> no, I think for me, I think I've grown through that fixation on the canon of Doctor Who. Yeah. And to be honest, if I want to enjoy a silly comic strip where the Quarks are um, holding up cars, um, sorry, that was the Dominator's klaxon there. It. Sorry, everyone. Whoop, um, whoop, whoop. Where you go, and um, And that doesn't make any sense, but it's really cool. If that's yeah. as much Doctor Who as Genesis of the Daleks is Doctor Who, as Doctor Who and the Pescatons is Doctor Who, as the Holy Terror is Doctor Who. Yeah. You know, this the only you way this like story it. could what possibly be better would have been had he kind of not used the Cybermen, but he'd used the Quarks, and it was Quark heads that came flying over that hill in the last story. And we had, what is it? The Quark Lords at the end of this. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, so please, well, whoever's listening to this, the story there. If if you're listening to this and you have any kind of artistic bent, if you could just sketch us a Quark Lord, please and put it on <laughs> Twitter. And the collar. It, it would be amazing. Collar, we need a lot. What's that fella's mm-hmm. name, Fraser, who does the the cartoons that you always oh, retweet? Ian. Who? Ian, isn't it? Ian, Ian Fraser. Ian, yes. we need a quark lord. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh, God, we're 15 minutes in. We better start soon. Well, um, yes. So, um, yeah. shall we watch Doctor Who and the Timeless Children? Yes. Yes, we should. Think... Are you ready, boys? Yes. Yes. Okay. Here we go in five, four, three, two, one, go. I think what we've established there is that the three of us can just talk a lot. <laughs> Was that in any doubt? No. <laughs> no. We've already committed about 10 hours to, to recording. So. But we've already talked about all the things as well. There'll be other things to talk about, I'm sure. Oh, as we go along. you better believe it. Okay, then. Well, I'll ask you both a question, then. <gasps> okay. Smash it to one. What do you think of his portrayal of the master? Oh. Oh, sorry. 
Sasha Dewan. Joe, do you want to start on that one? Oh my god, he can Roger me sideways. Uh, I mean, I know, I know that's not. Go on, can you just say it, Fraser? Stop it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, for one thing, he is the hottest guy ever to appear in Doctor Who. Um, but I do genuinely think he's given a magnetic performance. Um, and I think they've paired him up with the most perfect Doctor. And together, they're just magic. He's, he's, really, he's dangerous. He's unpredictable. He's silly. I, I genuinely don't know what he's going to do next. And that's exciting. I have to say, they've given him the most magnificent costume. They have. I'll give it it, he looks superb. Oh, the beard. And oh, what, I, what I like is just you can see it in his eyes that he is completely and utterly unhinged. And his absolute hatred of the Doctor. Yeah. Well, do you remember O in Spyfall before he was revealed? Yeah. And ha and how utterly like inoffensive he seemed. Yeah, it's he's a really great actor. I mean, I, I enjoy him, but I do think there was times when he's a little bit too much for me. Really? What? Yeah. Too too excitable? Too too silly? <laughs> too manic. Oh. Mm -hmm. Can you I have too manic? Really he reminds me of them, um, oh, I keep forgetting people's names. Who was the guy that played Moriarty in Moffat's Sherlock? Oh, oh um, he was hot as well. Um, yeah. Yes, he was exactly the same. So it's an interesting parallel that we've got, you know, the Doctor's Moriarty and Moffat's Moriarty. And for me, both of them were just too, um, too big at times, too manic, too... Missy was like that as yeah, well. Yeah, see, I'm going to say yeah. something that is not going to make me popular, but I, I'm i only half on board with Michelle Gomez as Missy. Yeah, I think Missy was a lot more restrained, I think. I mean, you you think? Dr. Chan! There's some, there is some moments in this, I think, where Sasha Dewan is absolutely perfect, perfection. Like you here, know, this, this moment here. But he's, there's also where he just seems to be trying a little bit too hard to be a bit um, crazy. Interestingly, but, in the Series A um, Blu-ray set, uh, it's Sasha Dwan and Anjali Mahindra mm, on the yeah. behind the sofas. Yeah. And he's watching Roger Delgado and he's like, wow, he's so contained and he's so yeah. still. And he go, and I think he's taking notes if he comes I back. I think he is too. I, yeah. I think if he's coming back, he's going to play it slightly differently yeah and as an actor you can only do what's written on the page and if he's written as manic and full of energy and zany it's like john sim who never quite seemed comfortable with that side of the master mm. i think and it's is it a very new series i'm gonna say is it a very new series master thing that they've got to be quirky and zany and and odd I, don't think it, I think what it is is, um, and it goes back to Roger Delgado, is that they are trying to hold a mirror up to the Doctor, and they are ah, trying mm -hmm. to yeah. be the Joker to the Doctor's Batman, which is the same character but with a different, but sort of the opposite, you know, the sort of yin to their yang sort of things. So you have mm -hmm. Roger Delgado is also very suave and very charismatic, and um, you know, essentially John Pertwee with a goatee beard and evil. 
you have John Sim, who is very... Yeah, very much. A parallel to David, David Tennant, yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't feel it quite as much with Sasha Dewan and Jodie Whittaker, certainly with Missy and Carl, um, like Michelle Gomez and Peter Cavalli, there is that, again, parallel between them, which I don't quite find with these two as much. Personally, you know, other opinions are available. Don't get us wrong. Yeah, I've, I think it was... Uh, Several people have mentioned this down the years, and I've talked about this with, with Scott Gray. I'm sort of just name-dropping there. You know That's I don't right. like to name-drop. No, 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 no. uh, I'm going to pick up all these exactly. names off the floor you keep dropping. Yeah. Um, but he said the primary function of the master should be that he's one step away from stealing the whole show from the doctor. <laughs> and actually, uh, that's the primary function where you've been that if the master was just the central character, you'd want to watch that a bit more than, Ooh, than the Doctor. that's a great point, you know. And I think there are moments here with, with Sasha Dewan where I get that feeling where he's oh. Well, he actually does, though, doesn't he? He basically shoves her in a cupboard for an yes, episode and, and, takes, and over takes over the show. And, it, oh, okay, this, I just want to talk about this for a second because we're in the Panopticon with the master... Cybermen are approaching. It's, it's all very wanky, but I, it feels very epic. This, yes, and I, I love the the callback to remember the assassination of the president and yeah. all of that, and that li little bit of shared history. Chibnall does that well, doesn't he? Because he does it in Spyfall as well when they're on top of the Eiffel Tower, and he says, "Oh, do you remember the last time we were on top of?" Uh... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just a little mention. It doesn't matter. It's. Ah, it's terrific, and it does look. Look, look at the the set there. You've got the green from uh, the Deadly Assassin and the symbols at the side. Mm -hmm. And you've got the stupid stairs and probably <laughs> the 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 things from the Invasion of Time that make no sense. Where you've got a ramp that doesn't go anywhere. Oh, imagine if they'd add those weird flowers and everything as well. That would be amazing. <laughs> and just like one bit of corridor that looks like a mental asylum, just for old yeah. times' sakes. Yeah. And one really narrow corridor that only, you oh. can only walk down single file. <laughs> um, We've become the self-referential podcast today. <laughs> I just, oh, Sasha Dewan. I just really want him to sit on my face. And I know that's disgusting, <laughs> but oh, he's just gorgeous. <laughs> Isn't he? Like, I don't care if he's over the top. He could be saying anything. He could be reading out a shopping list for all I care. He's got when lovely he's... hair. <laughs> when he is being restrained, I think he's a lot more enjoyable for me. I think there's there is just little little touches, little bits where he's just But do you know what I love about his chemistry with Jodie Whittaker is it is very intense, but it's never like sexual. They don't ever yeah. lean into that. And yeah. she had a bit a minute ago where she went right into his face and she said, um, did it calm all the rage? Yeah. By That's such a great scene. And look, like, saying she doesn't get angry. She's angry throughout this entire episode. <laughs> and she's always angry with the master. Always. Well, I mean, he has, I mean... I'd say it's a, a slight overreaction of what he's done to Gallifrey, um, given what he's learned. But um, I think she's got a right to be angry, maybe. I think it's 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 a it's a sure one. I think. Do you think you know Russell? You know, decided to get rid of Gallifrey, had the time off, 
got rid of Gallifrey, got rid of the Time Lords, made the Doctor the last of the Time Lords. Uh, Stephen Moffat undid that. Uh, no, not for me. That's not how I want my Doctor Who to be. I want Time Lords, I want Gallifrey. And then Chris Kimmel's come in and said, actually, I preferred it the first way around, but we didn't have Gallifrey, so I'm going to get rid of it again. But with Moffat, right? Yeah, I'm going there. Um, he brings it back in the day, day of the Doctor, and it's like this great, you know, we've saved Gallifrey, yeah, you know. And then what we have hell bent which tells half a gallifrey story and then abandons that halfway through to tell a clara story and then we never go back then what was the point what was the point of bringing it back I have, yeah i have a feeling that um there was a plan i think for for the, the fourth year of matt smith oh, okay. that didn't happen I, I don't know this for sure but i always get the feeling that um we're in contract lottery at the end of Matt Smith's time and Ed, the show behind the scenes is in absolute turmoil. And I suspect they thought Matt was going to stay for another year ah. and that would have been the quest for Gallifrey. Okay. I, I, that's just a personal thing. That's how it seems to be set up at the end of the day of the Doctor, but that he's going to go and find Gallifrey by the long way. Why couldn't they have done that with Capaldi, though? I don't know. Maybe they just thought, well, we need to take this in a different direction because we've got a new Doctor. Yeah, I think the series that introduces the new Doctor and then sets them off on the quest for Gallifrey is just going to be absolute fan wank. But then at the end mm -hmm. of his first year, it is that he goes looking for Gallifrey, he's beating up the console, he's lying about it. Like So they do lean into it a, a bit, but it's, half, it's kind of half-hearted. And then when we go to Gallifrey, it's even more half-hearted. So when, at the end of this, when Gallifrey, because I remember like I was trying to process everything that was happening in this episode. My brain has just turned to, you know, mush in my head to uh, what was going on. But when Gallifrey was blown up at the end, I jumped out of my seat and went, yeah, <laughs> I was so excited. Anyway, in the episode right now, we have got a beautiful scene between Graham and Yaz, mm. who are, again, as we've mentioned um, last, last time, they're repairing that that haven't had a lot of screen time together but this is really lovely it's beautiful yeah. and how good are um bradley walsh and mandip gill like, like this is a good opportunity to talk about bradley walsh because oh, he's, so he's tremendous in this team he does which i really like in this scene he gives a very heartfelt um reading of the of the script telling yards you know how much she means to him how um, how impressed he is with that. There's a very sort of fatherly dynamic there. It's a really kind of touching moment. And I know people are going to complain that Chibnall stopped the story dead to do with this scene, but I'll go off. It's really good. <laughs> and then uh, uh, spin on a sixpence when she gives her a plan, he's like, Oh, yeah. Is that <laughs> and you think the comedy. Don't tell me you don't know people like that, though. I, you see, I'm very good at expressing myself emotionally. And I know people that would just go, Yeah, you're right. Or something like that, you know, like yeah, but it's when we pay you a compliment, Joe, you just turn it back and just say, Oh, don't be silly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you like that all Stop the it. time. Stop but, it. But Stop it. Brendan is right. I think Bradley Walsh has been the heart of the series for the last two yeah. years. Yeah. He's been its emotional compass. Uh, he is extraordinary, but you know what I realized the other day is we didn't really get the Graham episode in the two years like like no. think of like donna having turned left or amy yeah. having the girl who waited or clara having 
flatline. Now, don't get me wrong, Graham's always brilliant, and, and he always brings something to every episode, even if he's, you know, just in passing or being funny or being having an emotional scene. I think the closest we got was the end of It Takes You Away when Grace comes back. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have some good great moments in It Takes You Away. Um, Pat Love runs Kota Kolos as well. Um, you know, has a, a strong Graham dynamic in there. It's like, well, I'm going to, you know, if I take this man, I'm going to kill him. It's like, nope, up the TARDIS, off you go. That's a great Love scene, that. isn't it? That's a really good scene. Yes, yeah. So there was definitely one. So the thing that, um, again, was kind of frustrates us about about it is that we haven't really played to Bradley Walsh's strength as a comedian. Oh, no... come on. Spyfall, the old shoe shuffle. <laughs> 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 I think there are little moments all the way through where he does exactly like that. There's little moments. There's little moments. There's not, he, you know, a big moment. There's not a, um, you know, you, you look at Rosa, the scene in Rosa where he's like, gives his name as Steve Jobs. Okay. And he can't <laughs> stop cracking up. He's, it's, it's like he's, he's doing that funny thing on the chase, you know, and he's, he's trying to keep, keep it together. I wanted so much more of that. Um, in series 12, I think they realised that him and Tozin Cole had really good, like, comic chemistry. And in every episode, they get a couple of moments where they're so funny together. Oh, no, the Doctor... That's it. So the Doctor's out of action now. Yep. Yep. And I don't know if that's the best approach. I just don't think um, mm. removing the Doctor from the action for half an hour... Is the best approach to tell a finale. It's it's a difficult choice, isn't it? Because um, the the big criticism of this episode is that the Doctor is impotent for half the episode, and is basically mansplained at by the Master. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's not a good look. So. Is that something the two of you would agree with? Is the Doctor just being talked at now for half an hour or so? Is that a fair criticism? It's a fair comment. I don't think it's a fair criticism. I think, um, you know, narratively, take the Doctor out of the story and then the other characters have to do the work. So you have to then, you know, have... Um, Yaz, Graham, and Raphael, or whatever you call her, you know, escaped from the cyber ship in the way that they do. You have Ryan and Coach Armas um, fighting the Cybermen. If you've got the Doctor in that mix, it's it's different. You know, it's given, it, narratively, it gives the other character the chance to do something and chance to shine. In terms of the mansplain, in terms of the exposition, how else are you going to do it? But in terms of the criticism of the era that the Doctor is impotent, this literally buys into that criticism that the Doctor is a bit useless. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think she is useless. But I think by removing her from the narrative for half an hour, they've got, they've got, that's their ammo there. I think, you know, look at it a different way. What would the Doctor do differently in this situation? If, you know, the Master had took the Doctor to the Panopticon ruin, in ruins in Gallifrey and said, I am going to tell you the secret of the Time Lords. Is she then going to go, no, it's all right, mate, I've left me 
I left my farm behind. I need to get back to them. Tell us later. Or is she actually going to go, all right, go on then. But show, don't tell. That is one of the basic rules of drama. Show, don't tell. So maybe she should have actually experienced this rather than just having a lecture for half an hour. In which case, then have an hour and a half episode. Well, then you just you tell a completely different story. The story is that, and we go back into the past and we see what happened. Which is exactly what we're doing. All that's happening is we've got the master giving us a commentary about it. Yeah, but this is like watching a slideshow. Like that's not drama. That that's yeah. that's a lecture. I was on the edge of my seat watching this bit. See, I I was I was intrigued I, by what was playing out, but I was just like, why am I being told this? Why am I not being shown this? Would it have been better if the doctor had discovered her origins? Definitely. Or if we'd seen the master discover this story? Definitely. For himself? No. Ah, okay. Because we have got so much information to deliver that to do that would take a whole another episode. Good point. You know, we are at the finale. Well, I don't buy that because I think there's lots of Doctor Who stories that have had a lot of information to deliver and they've done it via a narrative telling a story than literally lecturing us for half an hour. Okay, give us an example. The War Games. Episode, the War Games episodes 9 and 10, which basically changes the entire shape of the series, introduces yep. the Doctor's people and does it in the space of half an hour of yep. actual drama occurring. An actual episode, a whole extra episode to give us the Doctor's backstory. It's 30 minutes, though. It's an incredible 30 minutes. But it's all happening in real time. We're not... <laughs> the... That's 30 minutes on top of this episode, which is already running at an hour and five. This is the equivalent of someone picking up, I don't know, the program guide and reading out a synopsis. <laughs> With scenes. We've seen, I mean, the, the scene that's coming up where um, we see the, the Citadel getting built. It's oh, gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous yeah. it's because it's got, a terrific effect shot. We have got the, the visuals that we have come to associate with Chris Chibnall era. When have you ever, ever said that visuals are more important than storytelling. <laughs> In fact, you always say the reverse. <laughs> You're saying it's a PowerPoint, but it's a good PowerPoint. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I was seeing a PowerPoint display at work and it was like this, I'd be quite happy. Exactly. But exactly. I don't want to watch it as a piece of drama. I oh, know, we're not going to well, agree. We're not going to agree on this point. All I can say on that, Joe, is I'm, I'm sorry that you're wrong about that. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry that you're not right about this. <laughs> Simon, yes. split the difference. Uh, not always. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I... Do you know, I still don't know. I still don't quite know how I feel about this. This is still very new. And this is only the third time I've actually watched this episode. Um, so, really? Yeah. Um, maybe the fourth but i haven't i don't always go back to the new series stuff straight away i've i've found particularly over the last few years um so it's yeah i, I think my head is still 
working out all of this stuff at the moment. Can you um, can you get behind the idea of the the, well, the very grisly idea of them clearing out cyber suits and climbing into them? And that's a great idea, isn't it? Yes, uh, and, and that's going back to the first Dalek story, isn't it? Where Ian's inside the Dalek mm. so that they can escape. But we did miss some phenomenal um, direction in those scenes where Ashad is opening each um, of the um, Cybermen um, pallets or whatever and seeing Graham and Yaz inside and seeing the tear coming oh, down yeah. um, Yaz's yeah, yeah. thing because she is so terrified of what might happen. Oh, and Can I interject very quickly? I think this is one of Ryan's best moments and it's up there with the ghost monument where they did exactly the same thing of him going like, yeah, yeah, I'll destroy that. And then suddenly there's like an army of Cybermen behind him. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> Chibnall mm. punches that masculinity really well so he has characters yeah. behave in a very masculine way and then takes the piss out of them yeah oh here's a shad and Cybermen on Gallifrey I mean it's up there with Vardens on Gallifrey really isn't it it's a bit of a theme to the stories we talk about isn't there yeah it is <laughs> Oh, God, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is uh, one thing uh, that irritates me in a bit, and that is how Ashad is so quickly disposed of. He's such a good character, and I know he's kind of vital as a tiny little figure at the, at the end, but he's been with the show now for three episodes, and it's not exactly a rousing climax that he's just tissue compressed, eliminated. For him, it's not. It's not. It's but it's again. It's it's doing something different. You know, if this was um, RTD, if this was Moffat, we would have some big rousing. You He'd know, become human again, wouldn't he? And or there would be some sort of giant machine have to get built to. You know, get rid of them, or we'll get to five minutes in, and you know, dear sex machina would pop out the floor, and you know, there and Murray Gold would, would tell us exactly how to feel about about the thing. But so I think the fact that it is just so brutal and so, oh my god, I wasn't expecting that. It oh, works. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like the moment likes that. To be honest, yeah, the moment's well, good, right? but it's just like, well, he's gone now, and he was so good. Yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what kind of change change with the story now? So we've gone from sort of the kick and can story um, into a bit more of a traditional finale where the the stakes are raised, there is a, a big evil to defeat, and we then have to figure out how to defeat it. Hang on, we've got half an hour of story time first. Which is good, which is a good thing because it delivers, it does what it needs to do, it delivers this big iceberg of an idea, because that's what it is. It's, it's a giant thing to drop on us as fans, as, you know, fans who've been watching for 40, 30, 50 years, whatever, to drop the timeless child concept on us is massive. Well, do you know what Chibnall's done here that Moffat completely failed to do every single year? And that is, he, he delivers a promise in Spyfall of uh, Gallifrey destroyed and you're going to find out things that absolutely you know change your world and then at the end of the season he actually delivers those things he does 
Now we don't still don't know where that's going or what that means for the show or what we're going to learn in the future. And you know, it obviously left a lot of people very confused and a bit very confused about how they felt about it all. But as a structured season, he promises and he delivers, and that's yeah. not always the case in New Who, is it? No, you're absolutely right. He, yeah. We had the timeless child mentioned right from the start of Jodie's era, and it yep. didn't, it wasn't referenced at all through the rest of series eleven, was it? Of was it the yep. the um, so it be it felt almost like a throwaway comment at that at that point, and then suddenly it wasn't at all. It yep. became the whole purpose of the era so far. And I think I think it was quite a smart move to push away from continuity in series eleven. I know that left fans a bit bewildered, but I think the show needed a little pause from its own history for a bit. Yeah. And it meant when we came back to it in twelve, and there was a lot in twelve, wasn't there? You know, um, it was quite refreshing. But to be fair, fuck fandom. Yeah. Who cares? To be honest, really, you know, I, I know this won't be popular, but. You shouldn't make Doctor Who for Doctor Who fans. You should make Doctor Who for the sake of making Doctor Who. Yeah. And fans will watch or not watch or gripe or love it, whatever happens. And then in in five years' time, when Pete McTie is a showrunner and everyone is busy shitting on him the whole time because yeah. he's not made Doctor Who how Hinchcliffe made Doctor Who in 1976 or whatever... Everyone will come back and say, well, actually, Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who was pretty good, wasn't it? In the same way oh, that sure. people are doing that from Stephen Moffat. To be honest now. with you, Si, I think I'm the tide is turning now. already. I think it's already starting to happen. Yeah. I'm hearing people talk very positively about Series 11 when they weren't before. Yeah. So I think it's it's whatever's out it, now. That's what people have an issue with, isn't it? It's the cycle of fandom. It's what Jason talked about. Um, in his recent, was it Sarangra, uh, his commentary, it's um, it's the expectation versus the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, as myself, being sort of like a wilderness years child, you know, I knew what was happening in all those stories I was going to watch because I, you know, read the handbooks, read the program guides, whatever. So there was very few real surprises when you are watching it fresh, when you watch, you're sitting, oh, there's that scene. You don't need to. You don't need to watch the program guide. You just gotta watch this. Sorry. Yeah. You know when you're watching it. Oh my goodness! That's, that's so stunning, isn't it? We should probably point out that Gallifrey's being built right now, rather yeah. than us all just going. That's gorgeous. <laughs> if we'd had that citadel in the background of those shots in Invasion oh, of Time. I know. Oh. Well, fifteen isn't out on Blu-ray yet, so they could still do it. No, they could. Yeah. But yeah, so when when you're watching the new series, you don't know what you what it's going to be. You have an expectation that it is going to be, you know, from the trailer, from what you've read in Doctor Who magazine or whatever. You build an expectation in your head. Well, this story's going to be, and it's never going to live up to that. So you're always going to be a bit disappointed. Sometimes you're going to be surprised and happy. Sometimes you're going to be a bit disappointed. And it's not until you give it a, a while and come back and look afresh um, that you see. Um, like nuances or, or see where it was good. Prime example for that for me is Peter Cavaldi's first series, series eight, where um, 
I didn't enjoy it too much the first time round. When I watched Series 9, though, and I saw where he was going with his Doctor in Series 9 and went back and watched Series 8, it was a lot more enjoyable. Would it surprise you to know I was completely the opposite? <laughs> I adored 8 <laughs> when it was on. I absolutely adored it. And 9, I just could not get behind at all. Oh, no. What I'm saying is, is the portrayal of that he, through Series 9 when he was a lot uh, more... Oh, I see. Lot more I see. And you can see, well, actually, this is where he was heading in right. Series 8. You, so you saw it, the destination and then you could enjoy the journey more. Exactly. You go back and you see, right, this is what he's going to be doing. You can see a bit more in his performance in Series 8, which is makes it a bit more enjoyable. That's certainly what I found anyway. But Timeless Child has just you been dropped. You are the Timeless Child, sigh. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, no, in fact, I would not be surprised either. <laughs> Well, that's changed my whole life, so, okay, fine. <laughs> Everything you thought you knew is a lie, Si. Yeah, that, to be honest, none of my life makes a particular sense. <laughs> so that just makes sense of it not making any sense. Well, don't know about you guys, but that's my childhood ruined. Ah. Uh, <laughs> can I do well, a bargain with you? Yeah. Um, so I'll take Sasha to on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. You can have him Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays and he can have the day off on a Sunday. He'll need the day yeah. off on a <laughs> <laughs> After making my coffee and all oh. my cornflakes in the morning, you know. Naked, I hope. <laughs> so for the rest of the listeners, what's happening now? <laughs> <laughs> Or, or stalking Koshar Mr. Ryan through through the tent. Oh, dear. It's action. It's the action bits. Yeah. They're just interspersed with the storytelling. Yeah, you yes. bloody need the action. Because nothing else is happening in the other end. <laughs> so much is happening. In the other end. <laughs> well, it's not happening, is it? We're just being told. Oh, no, I'm not going to go there again. Gallifrey is just being built. Yeah, but it's not, is it? It was already built. We're just being told that it was being built. <laughs> it's been built before. <laughs> oh man! I mean, basically, this is this is a chase through corridors, really, isn't it? Made of cloth. It's, good one. it's really it is, it atmospheric, is good one. Yeah. and it's really well lit, and it looks beautiful. And this, and this then, twist oh, here that is them in the suits, it's really well done yeah. as well. <clears throat> and you've got the bit where they think they're going to kill the kid, but no, it's the Cybermen. But it's not the Cybermen, it's the farm! Yay! Mm -hmm. And the team's back together. I love the fact that surrounding this podcast, we've nixed the word fam, and, <laughs> and it's become the ham fam. Because I'll tell you what, there's plenty of fucking ham amongst us lot, I'm telling you. <laughs> What's occurring here? You can here? see Fraser's face there. It was a picture. <laughs> oh, Fraser's face is always a picture. <laughs> it's never far from my mind. Oh, sorry, Fraser. You're right here. There's Sasha. Oh, here we go. Stop trying Did... to distract me from you with Sasha Dwarf. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> But this is this is one of the scenes that I really, really like. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying them a lot more now. I've got the sound off, funnily enough. 
you can just see the intensity of his eyes rather than the the over the topness of his of his performance. But the the bit where he he does, you know, squish Ashad, um, and then he's down on the floor and he's I thought that would go off. I thought it would, you know, there's the he knew there was the risk that shrinking him would set the death particle off. Um, and that bit where he's just him with his face on the floor, that is magnificent. You remember I said to you earlier, there's no sexual tension at all between Sasha Dewan and Jodie Whittaker. They avoid that. The sexual tension between Sasha Dewan and Ashad just then, where he was like, go on, show us a bit of leg, like right in his face. I'm like, cyber porn. This is a beautifully directed episode. Yeah, yeah. they both are. And the colours are really interestingly chosen all the way through. Is it great? So that you know exactly where you are in yeah. the story. So the cyber ship is very cold and blue and green. And then on Kanshamas' face, it's much warmer, and it's red and orange. And obviously, Gallifrey is orange, but it's a colder orange than where Kanshamas is. It's it's a really brilliant pieces of design work and direction coming together, and just lots of um, like lots of atmosphere. You know, I think Ooh, yeah. the, the only sort of visually creative decision that irritates me is the bloody lens flare. I just, yeah, that, that's just something you we have to put up with in science fiction now. JJ Abrams has got a lot to answer for, hasn't he? Yes. Oh, look at that weird quicksilver effect of the Siberian. Yeah, really, I like the Siberian effect. But yeah. it is basically a key to time MacGuffin, isn't it? That all this is based around. Like, what yeah. happens to the Siberian at the end of this? It's destroyed, probably. <laughs> probably. We don't know. Well, it's in the master. It stays in the master. You know, the master's not going to be destroyed. Oh, oh, yeah. And he gets away with his cyber lords, doesn't he? A couple of these, yeah. He'll be back. He will be back. When is he not? I've got a surprise. He's very hard guys. to destroy. The whole universe knows that. <laughs> <laughs> so you escaped from Gallifrey then. <laughs> oh my god. Ooh. He's having a terrible time. Well, he's there. enjoying that, isn't he? So you remember I said there were three scenes between the Doctor and the Master that are fabulous. This is number two. This scene is amazing. Where she says, um, show me the rest. And she basically punches him to the floor. Yeah. And, and this adds the dynamism to this sequence that isn't there at all in the Panopticon, where she's just sort of comatose, yes. you know? Is this... Is it black and white behind them? Yes. That's an unusual toy. It's very interesting. It's still a bit it's very desaturated. Yeah. It is. Yeah, look. I mean, it's quite nice that we're, we're seeing her, because obviously at the end of this episode, she does determine, do you know what? I don't really care. But she had to go through. You can't have this dropped on you and not process it. <laughs> like, 
Like, but she, like, another criticism is, you know, she's not given opportunities to act. Look at her here. It's, yeah, and it's it's a very interesting scene for the doctor-master relationship. Again, I know we've explored this a lot, but the fact uh, that, again, the master is really upset because the doctor's the special one yeah. for no good reason. It's just... I've got a question. The part of the doctor is inside the master. Yeah. That, you know, her, her genetic makeup, her part of her essentially is part of him. I think that's what really, you know, drives the anger in, in him at the minute. Um, I've got a question about the Doctor Master relationship actually in the new series because when, surprise, surprise, Rusty Davis brings back the Master, he's flirting away on the phone with like, oh, I love it when you say my name and all this, you know, it's, it's, it is, there is a, an element of sexual tension there and there's certainly an element of sexual tension there between capaldi and missy because the first thing she does is throw him against the wall and snog him um why do you think they let they pushed away from that here is it because we've got a female doctor because it, like, there, it really isn't there here there's a lot of aggression and anger but it's not to be honest with you i think it's more of a um you know, the sexuality of the Doctor was much more of a Chibnall, not a Chibnall, a, a Moffat and Russell T Davies thing. Yeah. I think, you know, that's not what Chibnall's after. If, if you look at RTD and Moffat, they are very similar in... Stop pulling that face every time I see his name. Um, no, it was... No, no, no. I pulled that face because it was the fault of Chris Chibnall writing, like, sexy dialogue. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, that, that's not... It's, it's clear that that's not the way that Chibnall wants to take the Doctor. RTD and Moffat are very happy to have the, you know, the, the Messiah Doctor, the, the very sexual, very, you know, young, hip, um, attractive Doctor. Chibnall isn't interested in that. Chibnall is very much the, again, back to the, the traveller, the wanderer, the person that just turns up and puts things right without yeah. you know, needing anything about it. So I think it's, I mean, possibly there was an element of, of it being a female Doctor in there. Um, I, I think that's very much the case. I think it's very much we've got to establish the first female doctor and we don't need yeah. to give her a love interest to to denigrate her with a man or a woman or whatever. We just need to get to know the doctor again. I've got another question for you then, because I had a conversation okay. with a friend of this podcast, Nathan Bottomley, the other day about the scene in Dark Water where Missy shoves the doctor against the wall and kisses him against his will. It's clearly against his will. Um, now that's kind of, that goes past without comment. Had Sasha Dewan shoved Jodie Whittaker against the wall and would that be okay? No, well, it shouldn't be okay either way, to be honest. And yet, and yet, Nathan made the argument that it was okay because the power dynamics from a woman to a man and a man to a woman are completely different. Whereas I'm with you. I, I think it's unacceptable both ways. It would be the same as um, sort of Matt Smith's doctor kissing Jenny in The Crimson Horror and well-deserving of a slap in the face. And, and totally icky as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
So why doesn't Peter Capaldi give Missy a slap? Well, again, that wouldn't be acceptable, would it? No. And there are lots of things going on in that story where the doctor isn't really behaving like the doctor should, to be honest. So I, I, I just I don't want to go into like too controversial an era, but it's double standards, I think. Yes. Oh, he kept yeah. the bodies. What for? Well, we're going back to the action, though. We did miss the bit with um, the the parallel between the Brendan arc, which was, and the division, yeah, um, and and the division. And so, coming back to what I said, I would discuss when we got to this point is that there is that disconnect between um, what we get told about the Doctor's life with Tech Tayun and the Brendan because. You look at the Brendan storyline, and Brendan is found by two parents. He is um, took in by the mother and the father, and is a very loving relationship. He is, you know, found to be able to survive a fall off a cliff, um, but he is still in a very loving family who are worried about him, call the doctor out. Um, he gets a job with the police, and then at the end of his time with the police, he is aged, but his family haven't and the white is memory you talk look at the tech Tayun arc it's just tech Tayun. there's no family there it's not loving at all because tech Tayun, as soon as they discover the child can regenerate tortures them essentially and makes them regenerate over and over again until they can do it themselves you go to the division and then obviously do whatever they've done with the division but where's that element of tech Tayun then being the, the same age and the doctor aging there's the similarities maybe, maybe the differences are there to stop her from kind of discovering the real truth like maybe maybe there's there's deliberate narrative differences deliberate narrative differences on the part of Chibnall uh, yeah um, potentially yeah 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 I mean I, I was talking about those filters with photographs and they can make me a stone lighter and get rid of all my wrinkles like you know it's very easy well, to slap on a filter and make differences. Slap on a filter and make yourself look Irish, but to <laughs> then change the fabric of the photo and, you know, put people in there that aren't in there and take them out. So for me, you know, when I, and this has stuck out when I watched it again before recording yeah. this, is that, you know, there is that very... In terms of making that, that first episode make sense, it should parallel, shouldn't it? If, if that's what it was, it was purely, you know, we'll put a filter on, you know, so that when you watched it, you didn't realise what was going on. It would still marry up more than it does. So I think there's more going on. There's going to be more. Well, I, I suspect we're going to come back to the whole question of the division. Yeah, and I hope so. the doctor's part in that That's because a... there, this... it's really. Ex- I think that is... story is really exciting. And I really hope yeah. we do. And I really hope that Chibnall doesn't do what he's done with us so far and drop drop it and just go. Oh, yeah, whatever. Because that's yeah. that's what. Push- that's a tasty idea, isn't it? It's a really delicious idea, yeah. the division. And then just go, no, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Like, if this was um, Disney or whoever has Star Wars these days, you could have a whole spin off called The Division, couldn't you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I hope that he isn't just putting it there to say, well, someone else can deal with that. I'm going to do the key to time um, in the next series and <laughs> go home. I really hope that there is going to be further progression of this because I reckon he'll do it in his specials. I don't know if it'll yeah. happen next series, but I reckon it might happen in his specials. Yeah, he'll, he'll tie I, up everything I, there. 
and I suspect there'll be more of the Joe Martin Doctor at that point as well, which will be super cool. Apples. Because I feel there is lots to explore in Joe Martin's Doctor that we haven't explored yet. I agree. She's magnificent. Has the potential to be magnificent. I'm going to see. Oh, you don't think she was magnificent when she turned up with that gun? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a doctor with a gun, so Fraser's not going to approve. No. I, I mean, she's, yeah, she is doing a much better job of being the doctor than she did in Fugitive of the Wow, how wonderful. interesting. I thought she you know, was incredible in Fugitive of the Dune. She was cruel and cowardly. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. It was really different. But she that's was... perfectly fair because the Doctor hasn't learned those lessons ah. with Ian and Barbara. Are we and, sure? And this is what they were trying to do with John Hurt, but I didn't feel it at all with John Hurt and Day of the Doctor. He just seemed like the Doctor to me. Not yeah. not, not the Doctor that didn't take the name of the Doctor. Which he was just what a bit grumpy. Yeah, a bit grumpy, but it was a big softy, really. I love the bit where she goes to Jodie Whittaker in Fugitive of the Jadoon. There are no words for how stupid you are. And then she goes, yeah, doctor. <laughs> I love that bit. And this is lovely. And Jodie sort of trying to deal with, with her unknown past and how many more of her are there. And, and the roof doctor just turning around and saying, does it matter? Yeah. yeah, that line of "Have you ever been limited by who you were before?" That's the crux of yeah. this episode, isn't it? Exactly. And look, look, just the little smiles between them—it's just wonderful. It's... There's a there's a quality moment in a minute where she blows the Matrix with the Doctor yeah. Who music because yeah, with the whole of Doctor <laughs> Who. Yeah. Oh my God, imagine having that blasted in your mind in one go. <laughs> that's what my mind is like most days really what was that giant phallus from season 17 ah, yeah. <laughs> or those strange rubbery creatures from season 23 or the plasmatons <laughs> what was that monster that came out of the, of the river in London in Terror of the Zygons crow crow sorry I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you should return the compliment and blow the mind of the Matrix. Oh my Superb. God. I, I cannot believe the three of us have neglected to talk about something. What's that? Those magnificent cyber lords. Oh. Oh, yes. Well, we'll deal with that in a minute, shall oh, we? We'll be back. They're so good. Is there a figure? Jody, look, Jodie's being heroic and wonderful and she's coming up with plans and I love it when she's talking to herself and she's just thinking things through. She says that, doesn't she? I'm talking to myself again. I must be all right. Yeah. And she's got the most wonderful smile when she really smiles. <gasps> I'm talking to myself again. <laughs> Shut up, I need to concentrate. <laughs> yeah, comes Morbius, doctors. Yeah, see, look, Robert Holmes taking the piss out of continuity is giving Chibnall his fuel for this. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, the music. 
the music's so good. All those monsters. Well, I mean, and it's a magnetic moment, but I, I was like, oh, thank God she's got out of that thing now, you know, like, mm-hmm. and and pretty much, what have we got, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, she is so good for the last 15 minutes, Yeah, like, she gets to be properly heroic, Oh, and the fam are back. Um, yeah, they're all together. It's just going to have a, no, the doctor's dead moment, like Sarah Jane gets every week. Every 10 minutes, yeah. yeah. I do like the bit in the minute where she says, well, I'm going to go off and deal with the master. And Yaz is like, no, you can't. It is setting up the relationship between them in the next episode isn't it where the doctor's gone and yaz cannot move on yeah is she in love with her is yaz in love with the doctor it's it's hinted very much in um hello dearly isn't it and in revolution of the daleks i think as well yeah yeah that scene with jack yeah yeah do you think they'll lean into that in the next series if they do i I would really that's that's bold if they do that i'd love that going back to what we've discussed i really don't think they will i think they'll you know they might lean into it from yaz's side but certainly they'll be you know an attempt to keep the doctor very asexual and no sex in the daughters well i'm sorry all right but speaking from personal experience all teas and no you know what it's just not on. Chibnall, start delivering on your promises. But, uh, you know, again, like, you know, and I know there'll be controversy around it. If they do lean into Yaz being in love with the Doctor, like, in a, if they make it explicit, there'll be, like, woke complaints and all that bollocks. But, you know, we've done that. We've, we did it with Rose and the Doctor when it was a woman and a man. So it's kind of like double standards again, isn't it? Oh, it always is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It, we kind of got through 26 years without anyone being in love with the Doctor, and that was fine. Sometimes it's just nice to have a really good friendship. Do you object to it then? No, no, no. I, I don't object to it. I think it was necessary to sell the series when it came back i think it was um just or it's like to get the the non-fan audience i think it was something they had to do it was something that hadn't been done before and that which is perfectly reasonable the show changes and develops but then it can change almost wasn't it refreshing in series four when donna came along and they jettisoned all of that and they were just best busy mates exactly and in fact the bit in Santara and stratagem where her and martha meet and he thinks they're gonna fight over him and donna's like oh get over yourself (laughs) yeah that's that's really good and it's a nice subversion of where the show has been but it's such a a limited thing because you can't sustain that relationship because companions come and go and doctors come and go yeah so 
Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to show the doctor's sex life with his companion or her companion or no, whatever? Ew. Where do you take it? You know, you can only yeah. go so far as to say, I love you a couple of times and that's it. It's, it's not something you can keep on doing. And one, I think one of the attractions for me when I was growing up was, it might say something about my limited emotional capabilities as a, as a, as a child and a teenager. Wow. But one of the things that I loved about Doctor Who was that it wasn't concerned with little things like romance and love. It was a much bigger show than that. It was an adventure that was asexual almost. It didn't concern itself with that because it was so much higher. It was so much more exciting than that. Well, what's bizarre is, is then when it lent into like romantic storylines, it felt kind of really fresh, didn't it? Like like um, yeah. Joe and Professor Jones, or less so Lelia and Andred, I'd say. Um, but yeah, because it didn't do that, and it it was different, and that was when you knew your companion was going because they found the person that they could spend the rest of their life with, yeah. which wasn't ever going to be the Doctor. Oh my God! Can you hear that? Sorry, I just love it. So, they, no, they, where do you stand on that, Fraser? Um, it's you know the, the, when the series came back, it was needed um, because not because we needed to sell the series or anything, but because um, to not address it would have made it very strange to have. Um, Chris Eccleston and Billy Piper running around all the time in space and not addressed. It would be like the elephant in the room, you know, and especially with David Tennant as well. So I think the landscape of television had changed by the point it came back. So it was it was necessary to address it at least or, or you know, so either have it or, you know, address that you weren't going to have it. It's, it's interesting that, um, you know, Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, we've got Clara there, um, you know, and we've had a very sort of flirty relationship with Clara, which gets cut straight dead in deep breath. Thank you know, God for that. It was getting beyond. You know, obviously, uh, Clara and Vastra sitting and discussing the fact that the Doctor is now an old man and not your boyfriend anymore. Um, so I think that's that was the point to, to say, well, we're going to stop this now. We're going to stop having the... Um, the sexual side, you know, was. But you know, you say that about Capaldi. Do you know what I think is the most successful, like, sexual romantic moment in the whole of the new series? It's the last scene of the Husbands of River Song. Exactly. It's beautiful. Like, it's so well done. Yeah, I mean, you had, you had series three with um with Martha, and it was very, you know, much an unre unrequited story and. The thing that always annoys me about that is, is you know, Martha, you know, stands at the TARDIS at the end of, um, you know, Sound Drums, that's the time Lords. You know, pours her heart out, says, I'm leaving you, this is not good for me, you know, I'm never going to get anything from your relationship because you are never going to have a relationship with me. And off she goes to live her life. In the time it takes the doctor to put on a tuxedo, he is throwing himself at Heidi Minogue. Well, who wouldn't? It just feels very, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
it's 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 a great disservice to, to Martha. I mean, obviously you can't pick who you do, who you're attracted to, and who you fall in love with, and not not. But it just felt really, yeah. I, I don't want a, a a sexual relationship with anyone. Well, stop throwing yourself at Katie then. But. Whilst, anyway, we, whilst we're uh, talking about sex, um, can I just ask both of you fellas if you have an enormous erection over this TARDIS set? Because oh my god, it's gorgeous. <laughs> No, Joe, we don't stop it. Why don't you? It's gorgeous. Because of the lens flare. I can't see it because of the lens flare. Oh, it's so bright. It is extreme lens flare. It's true. Do you know how yeah. they do that? Do you know how they achieve that? Because it was on Revolution of the Daleks. There's someone just off camera with a bit of mirror and they're pointing a light at it. I mean, why would you bother? <laughs> All that effort, honestly, for that daft effect. Oh, here we go. Oh, she's going to see the master. And this is this is the Doctor Master scene number three. Oh, oh yeah, she's terrific in this scene. Yes, on the way there, Cyber or Cyber Masters. What do we think? Mm -hmm. oh, I love them. <laughs> I think they're so camp. They're <laughs> wonderful. Anything in a cloak works for me. <laughs> I, think, I think you've got two really grisly ideas as well. One is it's got dead Time Lords in them. Yeah. And two is if they get shot, they regenerate, which is so yeah. cool. But I want to see like a serious action sequence with them where there's like they're coming on mass and they're all being like shot and they're all regenerating and they just keep coming. Because that could be really scary if they did it well. This is um Robert Holmes's idea for the 20th anniversary, wasn't it? It was, yeah. From the really? Six yeah, the six doctors. It was. It, would, it kind of repurposed it a little bit for the two doctors, in as much as it was now the Santarans trying to extract biology from the Time Lords to do time travel. But in his draft, it was the Cybermen and the Master working together to figure out how to make Cybermen regenerate. Oh my God! See, yeah. Robert Holmes was a genius. The symbol nuclei of the Time Lords. Yep. But it's, uh, when you think about it, it doesn't really work because, yes, the organic part will regenerate, but the part machine as well. So if you zap the machine bit. Yeah. Um, Don't think about it. Don't be that fan. Don't think about it too much. It's a cool <laughs> idea. I'm always telling people off for everything. You should do one of these ones with Jason Thompson. He overthinks the science so much. Like the science of Doctor Who, really? <laughs> he must go to town yeah. with this story. <laughs> Yeah, I've had those arguments with Jason for <laughs> <laughs> many years. Oh, well, we must have pointed out, he is fabulous. Oh, yeah. good, yes. <clears throat> oh, this is where she says, yeah. yeah like, oh, I don't, good. I... Look at her. And that's right. The master is scared of everything. Yeah. And that... Is that why he wants to control it? Is that why he wants to take yeah. over? Look at them together. Their chemistry is... Their scenes just sizzle. Yeah. They're so good. I'm sorry, that little side man on the bomb is so funny. <laughs> but it's like, like it's not so outrageous. Remember Gooch in Terror of the Autons? You know, like... Oh, all he wanted was a proper pot lunch. Lesson. What did he have? A boiled egg? <laughs> Yeah. What was his wife's name? Doris. He's told her. He's told her, you know. They're aesthetically boring. 
this is it. Uh, oh, this wow. scene is brilliant because um, if the master just hadn't realised, just had not said, "Oh, don't press the button. I'll press the button because then you'll be like me." Then she might have done it. This yeah. is, and this is the second time in this episode that he's expressed suicidal thoughts. So he says yeah. it to the side man. Oh, I thought he might actually kill yeah. me. And he's now he's, all over. It's almost like he's so fucked up. He's saying, just kill me. Like I literally cannot handle what's going on in my head anymore. It's the weariness. It's like, come, I'm done with this now. I'm done with you know, all the crazy plans, all the domination. You know, I can't live with the knowledge that the doctor is part of me. It's just the it's super dark, isn't it? It's really dark. Exaggeration of the situation for him that is like driving him to have this. It's not sort of like suicide. I don't think it's more like a death wish. It's like I'll keep doing what I'm doing, but if that happens, then that is also a. It's not the worst case scenario. Oh no! Here we go. Koshamas coming to the rescue. We haven't had a good character suicide mission for a very long time in the show now. But this is the turkiest of turkey <laughs> get out clauses. <laughs> the random character turning up saying, Go on, you off you go. I'll do it for you. I think it's, again, it's what I thought about in the first episode of Chibnall being one step from greatness. Yeah. You know, it's. It's so nearly there. Yeah. It just needs that something extra and that you know that RTD or Moffat would be able to give this character either a scene previous or a line of script that would elevate this from being yeah, triumph. I mean, I've Basically, seen... it's about his hatred of the Cybermen and that he's been fighting the Cybermen yeah. all his life and he's been through the Cyber Wars, which you sort of get an element yeah. of, but it's not made explicit enough. Exactly. It just needs that next temple. Yeah. In the same breath, I have watched um, The Wedding of River Song, Hellbent, and Death in Heaven. So I don't think um, we should cast too many aspersions on Chibnall, because I'd say this is more satisfying as a finale than any of those. Oh my god, the TARDIS has a house. That's oh, cool. I love that. That's just funny. <laughs> What do the people in the street think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't there this morning when I went to work. Was that a house over there last night? Oh, I can't remember. Maybe not. Oh, they'll just have one of those, what do you call them? Um, perception filters. Oh, yes. yeah. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Although That's I, nice I just love the idea of, like, you know, coming back in Revolution and Yas has got all that stuff up on... Yeah, and it feels lived in the mountain of junk mail. Oh my god, the TARDIS has a tree. Now, it, now the TARDIS is a tree. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, a quarry! <gasps> Look at that, a proper quarry. Oh my words. Oh, and the TARDIS has the TARDIS. Yeah. Oh. There she is. Hello, mate. Her TARDIS looks gorgeous. It has a lovely paint job, doesn't it? And it's got all the proper grain in the wood. It's lovely windows. 
Now, now we're in the TARDIS, TARDIS, can I ask you what you think about the fact that they designed, for the first female Doctor, a TARDIS console room with five penises attacking her? <laughs> Razor Sorry. is shaking his head in despair now. It's an upside down spider. It was a bizarre choice, though, wasn't it? I do think it's a great console, it, but... <gasps> it's a bizarre piece of design. What's occurring? Alarms! Alerts! Alerts! Alert! <laughs> oh, alert! <laughs> it's the Jadoon! This is this is something I don't care about for the chip nor the other, is that how easy it is to get inside the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it in Spyfall, we've just seen it there, you know, anyone can just pop up there. You know, a couple of man can just pop up in the TARDIS, I think it's a yeah. bit. I really thought think. that was Sharda when I first watched this. Me too. Yeah, a lot of people did. Oh, that's Doctor Who finished then. Well, yeah, that's it. It's never going to get as bad. After that that continuity mess up. How can it ever be as bad as that again? Honestly. (laughs) Um, Okay, all right. So let me ask you both to summarise your thoughts on Ascension of the Sidemen and the Timeless Children. as Maybe as as an end of a season... And as a as a, a story in its own right, uh, sorry. Um, it's too complex to sum up easily. This <laughs> is the problem um, because it's still a lot to process and a lot to take in. Um, there is so much that is brilliant there, absolutely amazing Doctor Who in that story, particularly the Cybermen scenes. I think are are really really excellent. Um, to coin a phrase, um, but <laughs> excellent. I don't know. It's I'm not massively worked up about continuity these days. My 14 year old self would have been apoplectic, probably at that. I would imagine. Um, you know, I, I'm just interested to see where it goes after this because I don't know. And actually, sometimes it's better not to know, isn't it? You're a big uh, fan of this season, aren't you? Series, series. Yeah, I've, I've actually surprised myself. I have just finished rewatching it. I've for the first, I've watched a couple of episodes since it was on, um, but I hadn't watched the whole lot. And I've I've actually found that I really adored it. I think it's it would certainly be up there in my top three of the new series seasons. Wow. I reckon, which was a bit of a surprise. I wasn't expecting that. But I've I've found, as I've watched them again, that Jodie's era has really worked for me in a way I didn't think it was when I was watching it the first time round. So you are literally living up to the fan thing of whilst it's on. Yeah, God, yeah, I'm just a cliche. (laughs) I'm a basic man. (laughs) You're marvellous. What about you, Fraser? I'm going to ask you to answer that question first because I've got a follow-up question. Um, I think Ascension of the Sidemen is uh, rock solid, uh, like a 9 out of 10, st- very good action story uh, with the intriguing subplot. I think The Timeless Children, as I've said, has a lot of like narrative issues, but some of the best individual scenes of the entire season. Um, so that would probably hover around about a 7. And the whole kind of revelations they're here, I think it's far more 
intriguing and it opens up storytelling possibilities for the future then i do then i think like oh my god doctor who is ruined because it should always be reinventing itself so i think i think it's doing something interesting again and as a season i think series 12 i'm with sight is in my top three for sure yeah i would agree um see series 12 it's very very strong you know when you look at the individual episodes you know we've got some absolutely standout um episodes in there things like you know like nicola tesla's night of terror the that i do um there's some really good strong episodes even the ones that aren't you know widely considered as good or are really enjoyable i mean i love orphan 55 i love um can you hear me uh praxios yeah, you know, I, really like, I like all yeah. three of those. By four, I think for me, the weaker link is Fugitive of the Jadoon, but you know, there's always know. one. That's my <laughs> favorite episode of the fucking yeah, season. Opinion, so, you know, um, just you know, these two two episodes that we've we've talked about, I think there's a lot of lot to like in these. I think it does um, flip over. And does expose Schrodinger's chip note, as I've said, you know, um, the things that. that he gets accused of, the things he gets criticised for, are flipped over on here. And if not completely inverted, then at least addressed to a certain extent. And, you know, um, there's a pushback against against that. I think the, you know, the the direction, the visuals, everything about them is is really good. Um, you know, the Red Side, this is like the first time I've come back and watched them since they were broadcast. Um, you know, so this will be like the third time. Second time was a couple of days ago, and I rewatched them. And again, you know, your, your perceptions change a bit, and really enjoyable, um, really good, good stories. I know we, you know, disagree quite a bit on the on time of Stroll and Joe about how we find that exposition and how the delivery of what I call that iceberg of, of the timeless child. That concept is, is itself. I think you know, I struggle with it as I discussed when it was first broadcast since then i've had the time to kind of go away think about it and mm. you know it kind of makes you think you know how how would you have felt watching the war games as a first time yeah. viewer how yeah. would you have felt watching deadly assassin as a first time viewer when these are, are stories that are doing exactly the same thing and dropping bombs on you essentially like how, time lord bomb how did you feel during the tv movie when it was like yeah. the, the doctor is half human yeah. i yeah. wonder how did you feel through silver nemesis oh i love silver nemesis he's all talking rubbish when you say that so <laughs> excuse it's, me it's, i really uh, enjoyed that in my commentary yeah that concept of you know continuity is exactly what terence Dix has described it's not so much what you remember it's what you decide it to be you know, Chibnall can come in and do the Timeless Child. RTD can come in and destroy Gallifrey. Moffat can come in and, you know, you can do whatever you want with a show. Yeah. If you don't like it, headcanon it yeah. to something that you and like. all of those showrunners, they don't give a shit what the fans think. They're just going to do what they want to do. And, yeah, you know, be finger up to you. And good for him. So speaking exactly. of that, then, that brings me to my question for you guys, mm. which is, are we allowed to not like this story? Are we allowed to not like this story? Are we allowed to not like the concept of the timeless child? Stretching out further, are we allowed to not like this era? The reason I'm asking, I'll 
explain why I'm asking this is because there is a certain subset of fandom who have been very vocal about this era since the minute Jodie Whittaker walked out in the Wimbledon halftime and was announced as the Doctor. There's a certain section of fandom that have decried mm-hmm. everything that's happening. It is dead. It has ruined my childhood. It is all the rest of it. Okay. Because of that certain subsection, there's a tendency now for anyone who, and this is how I feel, there's a tendency for anyone who offers a, an opinion against the Chibnall era to be lumped in with those fans. That not my doctors, as they get called. So because there is this vocal subset of, you know, fans who hate Chibnall, hate Jodie as the idea of the doctor, and are very vocal about it, there seems to be an equal and opposite subset of fans who are will jump on anyone who says the slightest thing about this era and call them a they're not my doctor, you know. Oh slate them just as hard yeah it's led to this term i've heard bandied around of toxic positivity where if you are not being positive about the show if you are not because this is what we do we come on and we say nice things about doctor who that's what this podcast's generally about now we're coming on and we're saying nice things about doctor who but there's again a, a, a tendency of a certain subsection of fans that will you know jump on anyone who is not being entirely positive about this era so that's my question for you guys is are we allowed as fans not to like this yes i think and i think i've got the perfect evidence as to why the answer is yes and that's me um because i love this era of doctor who i really really like jodie whittaker's era however I have spent the last hour of this episode telling you all the things that I think that I think this is a pretty dreary episode of television, whilst I think it's fairly good Doctor Who. Um, so, yeah, you absolutely. But like you're saying, can you express these opinions and then not be shouted down by a certain subset of fandom? Probably not, because those people uh, feel as passionately about this era as the opposite feels passionately against it. So yeah, so I'll probably say some critical things and people will come at me, but that's just fandom now. Like that is fandom and it is toxic and there is like toxicity in both directions and it's not pretty. And generally speaking, the worst of social media and fandom is those two sections that the two extremes coming together trying to convince the other side that they and what the fuck is the point of having that conversation because the people that love it are never going to convince the people that hate it to love it and vice versa whereas the kind of the best conversations are those people coming together that are willing to express their opinions but also learn other people's opinions that's why you the three of us coming together is an incredible thing i think and and such a good listen because you and I, Fraser, we are very often at odds, opinion-wise. <laughs> um, you and I, Cy, are 70% in agreement, yeah. I'd say. Mm-hmm. But we still have differences of opinion. And the pair of you... Oh, I don't know, where do you think the pair of you are? I don't, I don't know. Oh. I just not say. 
Anyway, yeah. but we're all coming at it from different angles. We all, forgive my language, fucking love each other. And we're all willing to discuss our opinions without it being nasty and without... I would never dismiss your opinion, Fraser. I think your opinions... In fact, half the time, I I, I listen to your opinions and I go, oh, God, he's right. <laughs> I, I still don't agree with him, but he's right. Um, yes, I knew it. <laughs> but the, I think you come at Doctor Who at a far more intellectual angle than me. I come at a very emotional angle, I think. I have an emotional reaction to something, and then I kind of try and understand why I feel that way. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I think... Yes, you should be able to express that you do not like this era of Doctor Who, just as you should be able to express that you do. Yeah. And everyone should just fucking leave each other alone and let them have those opinions, because everyone's opinion is absolutely valid. There isn't a fact when it comes to a Doctor Who story. There is a subjective opinion, and that's what we're all bringing exactly and this is the thing that winds me up all the time that people have decided their opinion is the fact and it's not always the way it is still just their opinion and everyone's opinion on any doctor who story is perfectly valid i'm sure we have talked about this extensively between us already um and that the fact that I enjoy this story doesn't invalidate anyone else's enjoyment or not of this story. It's just how I feel about it. And I'm quite happy to talk about how I feel about it. Um, but I think a lot of this sort of argument between fans is very easy because social media gives you an, a little bit of anonymity. You might be posting under your own name, but you don't necessarily know the person you're talking to in real life. You well, don't know. There's an account called Gruntly the Ogron, for God's sake. Exactly. Lovely Gruntly. Oh, it's, oh, it's cool. I mean, it's a great account. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. that's anonymous. Yeah. But yeah. But basically, you're, argue, you're shouting at someone across miles and miles and miles, and they're not next to you in the pub, and you're not discussing them i've had some very heated discussions with with my friends about doctor who um over a pint or seven or whatever um <laughs> i have uh, um argued with them on forums down the years about doctor who but because i know them it's yeah it's yeah. you don't just dismiss their argument out of hand and you make your point and then someone will yeah. back something back with you which is exactly what we've been doing this evening because we know each other and we're chatting and you can see each other and the thing most of all that you miss in the conversations on social media or forums as it was before or letters pages of dwb as it was in the 80s or whatever is you haven't got the contact the eye contact with the person yeah. you're not there in front of yeah. them and so you can be as vitriolic as you like because there's no comeback. But when you're in person talking about these things together, it's a different matter altogether. And yeah. you can agree to disagree and you can walk away from the argument and just say, yeah, whatever. But you know, yeah, I, you know I, 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 and I think, I, sorry. You know, for, for me, that's, that's it. it kind of hits the nail on the head because 
social media um, Twitter has been a wonderful tool um, for fandom. You know, it's given everybody a voice. Absolutely. Well, it brought all of us together. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, brought us together. It's brought us in contact with people. Like I said, it gives everybody a voice. Everyone can go onto Twitter and say, I like this. I don't like this. This is rubbish. This is great. This is overrated. This was nasty. You wouldn't have got that in the 80s because, like you say, you had to write a letter into a magazine that had to get picked up. It had to get published. Someone then had to write it back. You know, that doesn't work. Forums. Again, has that anonymity, but it's you know you have to find the forum, you have to to be there. I think certainly Twitter, you know, it gives you makes everybody a, a you know a, a voice. You know, makes everybody YouTube. You can be a YouTuber, you can be a podcaster. Anyone can do a podcast. Anyone now has got a voice. But the thing that social media has done has stripped us of is the ability to disagree. Properly. Yeah. Yeah. And nuance in an argument as yeah. well, because you've only got a limited number of characters to to get your argument across. Yeah. So even if you do a big thread, even if you, if I did, you know, a fifty tweet thread of the Titanus Child and why I thought that was a terrible idea, it is still words. You know, you miss out the the tone of voice. You know, we as humans, when we communicate, seven percent of communication goes through what we actually say. 50% comes with body language, 45% comes with the tone of voice. So writing something down on Twitter, you cannot express yourself as well. This is why podcasts are really good. This is why I got into podcasting is because I have all these ideas in my head about Doctor Who, which I want to get out and I can't do it on Twitter because I can't type as quick as I can think and, and all the rest of it. So to answer my own question, <laughs> absolutely, yes, you cannot like this. You cannot like anything you want. Um, your opinion is your opinion. I would say, as a caveat, there's rules to that. And the rule is, um, as Peter Capaldi would say, be kind. Yeah. yeah. Remember, <clears throat> so I said, you know, it's there's a degree of anonymity in Twitter, but there is another person at the end of that tweet that is reading it. Never forget, you are talking to another person. That person has feelings. So someone has come onto Twitter and said, I really love something. I really love this. And you steam in and go, and you don't know this person from Jack, and you say, this is a big scheme and pile of shite. You are taking a shite on that person's feelings, essentially. So please, you know, remember that. Be kind, be courteous, have a disagreement, but have it in a civil way. I mean, so, I, I, I'd only like to add one thing to that, and that's a piece of advice, really. And that is, don't, fight with people when you're having a discussion learn from people you know go in expecting to learn new things because if you go in looking for a fight what are you getting from that what are you achieving like but if you go in willing to like, like you too just today but in general the amount i've learned the amount of um, rethinking that i've done from your extraordinary opinions on Doctor Who, like it's enriched it for me. But if I just come at you every time with like, well, you're yeah. wrong, I'm right, where would we that's, get? That's, that's the other rule, you know, uh, which has been touched on. It's, you know, your opinion is not a fact. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Your Always. opinion on something that is not a fact, you know, don't use a negative opinion to try and get attention. Don't, you know, chuck a hot take out there just because you want someone to, to kind of, you know, come at you about it, you know. Exactly. 
I have I've found in my experience, I get more attention by putting out a positive opinion that yeah. people then disagree with more often than than putting out a negative opinion. Because yeah. well, who wants to be negative about the best show on TV? Really? Well, exactly. But the reason we're having this conversation is because some people do. Because some people do, and yeah. I, Doctor Who is a huge, huge, huge part of my life. But it's not all of my life. At times, it's been all of my life to to, to to big degrees when I've needed it to be. But, you know, you can take a step back. It is just a TV show. It's a TV show that you love passionately, but it's not like... It's not your yeah. entire world. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and if somebody your contradicts world, your it, opinion, they're not destroying your world. They're no. just offering an alternative take. Exactly. And there's room for alternative takes. Look, Gosh. we've had six, nearly 60 years of Doctor Who. Yeah. We can't agree on every single bit of it. No, the Dominators no. are still terrible. Oh, sorry, Fraser. <laughs> He's set the klaxon off again. Wood, wood, wood. Well, we should, we, should probably, we should probably wrap this up because I've got McDonald's on the way. Um, <laughs> um, but thank you very much that and Fraser thank you very oh. much for that for that last 15 minutes because I think that was a vital conversation we just had definitely it is, but we're not going out the way we need to go out okay where go are on. we going next no well, we'll oh. do it before that so oh. Joe Simon you tell me now or tell everyone at home why they should go out now oh. put the idea on Get a CD or Blu-ray off DVD off their shelf, put it in right this very minute now and watch Ascension of the, of the Cybermen and the Tamers Children. There's only one answer to that question because Sasha. they'll have stimulating wet dreams about Sasha Dewan tonight. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, um, give it you get to hear the mid-late of the theme at the end of Ascension <laughs> of the Cybermen. <laughs> what about that's, you, Fraser? That's good enough. <laughs> You get a fantastic kick in the can episode of Doctor Who. You get Cybermen done right. You get beautiful Cybermen done right. You get Sasha Dewan's master, which you might find a little bit over the top, but if you don't, you have got an absolute treat there. You get Jodie Whittaker doing some fantastic work as the Doctor. She's doing everything that you complain she hasn't done. You see a real progression from the characters from Spyfall, from the place they went to Spyfall, to the place the end of the series is an absolute progression. You get to see some lovely work by Bradley Walsh. You get Sigourney Cadola's fantastic scores throughout. And you will, in, even if you don't enjoy it, even if you don't enjoy The Timeless Child as a concept, you will be challenged by these two episodes. So yeah, go and watch them now. And if you like half an hour long lectures, you're going to get one of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, gentlemen, um, I am doing the most appalling thing next time. I'm splitting us up. <gasps> I'm heading into Matt Smith's time with Fraser, and we're going to talk about, oh, God, what's it called? The 11th hour. Thank you. And I'm heading into Sylvester McCoy's time with Sai, yeah. and we are going to watch... We'll let the chains of Fenric shatter. Ooh, is that what it's called? Wow. Um, <laughs> and the next time we all come together, we're heading to Cardiff Bay. We certainly are. Well, 
you say that we were supposed to be a card of beer today, but that never worked out. <laughs> anyway, until next time. Goodbye, and thank you for listening. Bye, everyone.